0: a little good morning to all the mamas out there. Good morning, mama. Uh, That's a little shout out to listener Catherine, who's on the text line right now. Remember, you can text me anytime during the show, 877-933-2484. Apparently, there was a conversation about giving up the term mother. And so, yeah, no. Those of us that are moms or stepmoms or foster moms or moms at church, mm mm-mm, we're not giving it up. We're the mamas, and uh, we're we're going to be loud and proud about that. Just letting you know in advance. If you got a problem with that, you can take it up with me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be the mama defender today. Proverbs twenty two six begins: Train up a child in the way he should go. My guess is that all of you who have been in the Word this morning, who are living in the Word of God as your way of life, uh, you can finish that verse without me uh, needing to do it for you. For those of you who can't, why don't you uh, open? to Proverbs 22.6 today. Find out what the end of the verse is. Train up a child in the way he should go. What kind of life does that produce? What kind of culture does that produce? If we invest ourselves in training up children in the way they should go. And as Christians, when we talk about the way, we're talking about the one who is the way and the truth and the life. We are talking about a narrow way for the people who would have first received the words of Proverbs twenty-two six train up a child in the way he should go. They would have had in their minds the Shema, the teaching of God to them in, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures. Talking to parents about diligently teaching their children the things of the Lord, the ways of the Lord. God commands us as children in every generation to honor our parents that life might go well for us and for future generations. So the education and instruction of children is a primary theme, actually, of the way the Bible instructs us as the people of God. God entrusts children to us as a sacred trust, like they're literally his. They're not ours. We just have the opportunity and privilege of walking with them as they grow up into Christ in every way, like right into full maturity. That's who we are. We're shepherds, we're guides, we're counselors, we're consolers, we're providers, we're protectors. We have a big job as parents. And education and instruction of children is uh, is a primary part of that role and responsibility. It's even been called by some the divine mandate, the divine mandate of parenting. So there are lots of people in the world today who think, you know, parents are actually kind of the problem. They would like to be the ones who are shaping and forming, informing and transforming emerging generations into the people that they would have them be. I am talking about the system of public education in the United States of America. Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a memo on Monday night directing the FBI and other Department of Justice entities to focus on identifying and prosecuting parents who have been showing up and who are now deemed to be threats of violence and harassment for school officials and school board members. So Uh, you want to meet one of them? I mean, here's the, here's the question. Are these people holding school boards accountable or are they harassing members of the local school board? Are these people agitators or are they being responsible parents? And here's a word for you. Are they domestic terrorists? Hmm. We're going to ask a dad from Ohio who spoke at a school board meeting a few weeks ago, and then um, he had a knock on his door. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Forrest Norman is my friend. He's been my friend for a long time. He's also an attorney. He's a husband. He's a dad. He lives in a little town called Hudson, Ohio. Good morning, Forrest. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, it's a delight to hear your voice. It's just a delight. It's a delight to get to talk to you today. So thanks. um, Thanks so much for your willingness to Come on and share with us. I read your Facebook post about your experience at a recent school board meeting and the follow-up visit that you got at your house. So why don't you just tell people uh, the story?
2: Sure, I'll start. A little background. We were sitting around, several parents were sitting around a backyard fire pit, uh, and we were discussing a host of parental-type issues. And one of the parents came in and showed us material that her her students her, her daughter had found uh, in class a book called 642 Things to Write About. And there were various writing prompts. And as we looked through what the writing prompts were, we were stunned. Uh, there were some very, very dark writing prompts, like describe the first time you killed somebody. Hmm. Uh, what if you were a nurse and didn't like the patient you were caring for? How would you feel about them? Uh, so some dark, not necessarily inappropriate, challenging, but dark things. And then they went into some sexual uh, content that was over the line. Um, they, they told students to write an X-rated Disney scene. Uh, write a sex scene that you could not share with your mother. Now rewrite it so you could. Uh, there were a few others that got a little, little further down the road.
0: Yeah, some of them have some vocabulary in them that might not be great for morning drive time, taking my kids to school radio. So you and I are going to And, and I am
2: not going to go nope, any further. I, I know,
0: I know. And and part of the challenge of this conversation is that, um, you know, there are those who are like, well, these parents are just being prudes. I mean, don't they know that their students are already thinking and talking about these things, even writing about these things, let's say on fan fiction websites or, um, or other things. But the material that is it goes beyond just the writing prompts book. And I think if people read the coverage of this story out of Hudson, Ohio, they're going to hear, you know, much made about this one, um, this one book and that these students are, you know, actually enrolled in a college level course that they're taking at the high school level. Um, But the conversation that you and I really want to have is who's responsible for the education of the next generation, of, of kids, of our children. And why are we in this battle with public schools and public school officials um about what is like who we should as parents get to be the ones who decide what's appropriate and inappropriate not someone else
2: Absolutely and every parent is going to have different boundaries but there have to be there have to be some common boundaries between us and when you're sexualizing the kids when you're going over those boundaries we should be able to agree that there are is content that is simply unacceptable. So we went and we spoke about it. Uh, we needed to uh, let the board know. I went to the meeting not intending to speak, uh, but I, I just felt moved to to actually get up there and challenge the board not to sexualize the children. Um, right, and, and that and that's led really,
0: to yeah, it's that conversation for us that I think. Um, you know, you went to a meeting, you are a, you are a citizen, you have a right to, uh, to speak at a, at a school board meeting. Um, I know you, there's no way that what you stood up and did or said uh, was, <clears throat> you know, domestic terrorism. And yet, what happened after the meeting, a couple weeks after the meeting,
2: well, Carmen, I got a uh, a visit. Uh, two well-dressed uh, individuals showed up. One was under arms. One had a sidearm. Uh, they were investigators from the county prosecutor's office. They came to my house, uh, rang my doorbell, um, and told me they wanted to talk about the school board meeting and the pornographic material that was uh, raised at that meeting. I was willing to talk to them uh, if they're there to investigate the content of the material to see if there was, in fact, child pornography being disseminated to the children, they should be investigating. If this did constitute legal pandering of obscene materials to children, that should be investigated. Whether or not that is a crime, uh, that is for the prosecutor to decide. That is for our legal system to, to determine. But what what struck me And what really caught me off guard was they began asking questions that had absolutely no bearing on the content of the material. The first question they asked me was, Mr. Norman, why did you speak in the first public comment section instead of the second public comment section? Because, you know, Mr. Norman, the first one is reserved for agenda items, and this wasn't on the agenda.
0: (laughs) And of course, you're having flashbacks to meetings where uh, that you and I have been in where a parliamentarian said, you're just going to have to wait and talk about that thing later. Um, you know, this is not the new business portion of the meeting. And so um, that was pretty uh, that uh, that was an interesting question to be asked by investigators. They clearly weren't investigating the content, the material that had raised concern among parents. They were clearly investigating those of you who stood up at the meeting and why you said what you said, when you said it, and whether or not this is some organized effort to, I guess, subvert your your uh, your school board, which exactly. you know, is they, not yes, they at have, all other what games. you had,
2: yeah, not what you had in mind. No, they they asked me for names of other parents. They wanted to know how I got my hands on the material. They wanted to know if it was mm. an organized uh, meeting of parents showing up to to talk about this. And they you know what? To... Even
0: if it was, even That's if it legal. was, none your business. Like I right. as yeah. So uh, yeah, we got to take a very brief break. Forrest and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I um I know that you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, okay, now I'm paying attention. I'm alert. Um, You can text me your comments, con- your questions, your concerns at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
2: Throw me like a stone in the water. Watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter. Pour me in your cup.
0: Should have known
2: we'd bring trouble. Trouble gonna find
1: you
0: here. All right, one of my troublesome Christian friends, Forrest Norman, joining me now. He's an attorney in Hudson, Ohio. He is a responsible parent. He is a brother in Christ. Um, And I think like many people across the country, he is having um, an experience that my guess is, Forrest, you never expected to have. Having uh, been concerned about uh, something at the high school, you went to a school board meeting, you spoke, um, and following the meeting, you were visited by armed investigators who were less interested in The content of your concern and more uh, about why you spoke, when you spoke, how you got the information about what you spoke, on and on and on. Um, For those of you who are texting in and want more about this story, pretty much just Google Hudson School Board. Yeah, that's you. (laughs) Your Googler will work really, really well and return all kinds of information to you about this. What those stories won't tell you um, is that these parents then went um, to the library at the high school and uh, found books and material that is jaw-droppingly awful, um, so much so that my um, filter for the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is uh, governs my email, uh, prohibited me from opening them. So there you go. Um, Forrest, when you think about the United States of America and you think about the law, uh, when you think about kids, when you think about— parenting. What are some of your concerns today?
2: I, I am absolutely stunned that there is an effort out there uh, to keep children, or keep parents from, from participating in, in boards of education, from speaking up from establishing uh, uh, criteria from challenging the board. We have a constitutional right to speak up and we have a constitutional right to criticize our government. In fact, that is why the First Amendment was put in place. We were allowed, we felt uh, 200 and some years ago, we felt we had the right to criticize the king. Uh, We have the right to criticize our government. We have the right to challenge our governmental officials. Um, If we don't do it, we're going to lose that right. If parents don't speak up, uh, you opened with the uh, Proverbs 22 verse uh, this morning, and that is so appropriate and uh, we are obligated to train up our children in the ways of the Lord, uh so they don 't stray uh, and so
0: for you know for us, I think part of the challenge that we face is Christians who are parents today um, and for those of you texting in raising you know raising the issue well that 's why i don 't send my kids to public school, just so you know there 's another person on the text line right now uh talking about an issue at a private school um, where the lgbtq agenda is being pushed. Um, pretty aggressively, kids are not uh, wearing uniforms this week. Instead, they are being encouraged to wear rainbow-colored clothing um, at that particular private school. Um, so, uh, the the conversation that that you and I would be interested in having in terms of raising a child in the way that they should go, and for us, that being you know the admonition of the Lord, that that would be the way that we would be interested in training up a child into every way, into full maturity in Christ. But that is not the prevailing um, value system of uh, particularly public education. And so there is a contest of the wills underway here, and I think the question before us is, um, are we, as citizens of the United States, going to exercise our First Amendment right and and go and make p- appropriate public protest, which is what you did. It's not like you followed people into a bathroom and harassed them and posted it on the internet and that the president of the United States says, well, that's just part of the process. I mean, that's what everybody should expect. You went to a meeting and conducted yourself with decorum and raised a concern.
2: Carmen, by nature, us Christian parents tend to be very polite. We tend to be uh, non-threatening. We tend to be very Peaceable in our engagement. That's the irony of the current uh, pronouncement from Merrick Garland, uh, saying that the FBI should investigate parents that are harassing and speaking up uh, at boards of education. What I would what I would encourage everyone to do is go to your board of education meeting, whether you have a child currently in that system or not. If you're a taxpayer in that community, you have a right. To be able to have your community, your values represented in your community, go and speak. If every single parent in every single school district, uh, every Christian parent goes and shows up, they can't investigate us all. And they will then understand this is a a prevailing moral culture that needs to be represented.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I uh, David is on the text line right now saying, hey, um I'm I would argue this is not only a right but a genuine responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Forrest and I couldn't agree with you more, David. Um Forrest, prayers for you and uh and your family and your community, but this is really uh an opportunity for each of us and all of us to represent Christ in our own communities and to do so in ways that you know, maybe make other people say, "Hey, you know what?" Um Those parents are thinking about things that I'm not thinking about, and maybe I should be thinking about those things, and maybe I should be thinking about them in the way those parents are thinking about those things. I do think it is an opportunity for us to disciple um, other parents in our community, but I also recognize that there's a spirit of division um, being strongly manifested in your community and in other communities across the country, so we will be praying um, in the midst of that as well.
2: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, this is an yeah. easy point of entry for people. They should do it. They should take it. If they, if not, Absolutely. if they do not take stand here and now, when, where, where's that line? It's time. It's time to speak up for your children.
0: Absolutely. And in this case, like I'm, I'm willing to say, hey, they're not just, uh, you know, my individual children or your individual children. In this case, they are the children of the Christian community. And so there's a part of this where, you know, Forrest, I think we resist the the language of, uh, sort of the collective language of these are our children, right? Cause that sounds fishy to us and a little bit communist. But when we're talking about the, the children of Christian families, they are mine. Those are my, those are my kids. I have, you know, I have said when they were dedicated in church or when, uh, when they were baptized, you know, I have said, I'm going to take responsibility for them along with their parents. And so let's come alongside parents, no matter our age and stage. Uh, if they're not your, you know, biological kids, um, if they're in your sphere of influence, if they're in your community, if they're if their parents are in your church, they're yours. Like, so let's get out there and stand up alongside one another um, and advocate on behalf of decency in education and truth in education um, and certainly responsible, uh, accountable leadership in our educational systems uh, here in America. Forrest, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Carmen. God Absolutely.
0: Bless. God bless. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, keep the text coming. Uh, I'm following up with you as fast as I can. Thank you to all of you who have engaged this morning. This is obviously a, a real concern. Um, and yes, I think uh, I agree with everything that you guys are raising on the text line. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Um, one thing that I want to be sure that we note you know, I'm a, I'm a product of public education, and I send one of our kids to public school. so please do not hear me suggesting or in any way saying that I'm devaluing public education. What I'm suggesting is we need to take it back. We need to influence public education in our communities. It doesn't matter if your kids go to the public school or not. You pay taxes, so it's your school. Um, and it is the place and the way that the majority of kids in America are being educated. And so, because we live together in the culture, we absolutely should be concerned about what's going on at our public schools. It doesn't, I don't care if your kids are, you've aged out, you feel like you've aged out. Your kids graduated decades ago, so you're not concerned anymore. Maybe you never had kids of your own. I don't, that's not the point. The point is, public education is the way in which most American kids are being educated, and every single one of us should be concerned about what's being taught there, who's teaching there, and what they're teaching and how they're teaching it. So, Uh, This is definitely a shout out to those of you engaged in public education, teachers, administrators, those of you serving on school boards. We love you. We support you. We want to encourage you. And we also want to take back those portions and parts of public education that have gone horribly, horribly awry. All right. Uh, What's up next? What am I supposed to be talking about? Ruth Kramer is coming to join us from Mission Network News. We are going to talk about what's going on in the rest of the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: Parenting demands faith. Raising teens is where the rubber meets the road in trusting God. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Faith isn't isolated to a Sunday morning church service or prayer right before a meal. No, faith comes into play when your teen walks in the door after curfew with alcohol on his breath. Trusting God is displayed when anger flares and the shouting match begins. Faith kicks in when your kid doesn't meet your standards. That's when believing God is all important. Remember, God loves your child even more than you do. He's never left her nor forsaken her. So next time the tension rises at home, renew your faith in an ever-present Heavenly Father. He's not giving up, nor should you. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org.
0: To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read what we're talking about today and lots of other great stuff from around the world at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? I am well. It's National Coaches Day, so happy National Coaches Day to you. I hear you're going to celebrate with an extra cup of coffee. I am. I'm looking forward mm-hmm.
1: to it. I have a cross-country mm-hmm. meet this afternoon, so I need the extra energy because I got to keep up with the runners.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe people could give their coaches a whistle today or something, some kind of little <laughs> fun. There you go.
1: You may regret that if you give us a whistle, though.
0: <laughs> I don't know, right? I don't know. All right. So um, Afghanistan, you have, you have a number of headlines at Mission News um, related to Afghanistan. Um, and they're all troubling. So, well, one of them is very positive and then the rest are troubling. Let's talk about uh, how folks are responding to uh, Afghan refugees. And then let's also talk about just what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan under the Taliban.
1: Yeah, well, according to a new poll, uh 70%, 72% of Americans say that Afghans who worked with the US government and passed security checks should actually receive refugee status. So we've seen uh you know a a, a movement of support to find places for uh, folks who need to be resettled in the U.S. Um, I think this, is, this particular story hits a little closer to home for me because um, my middle son is in the National Guard and he just finished uh, training with uh, his officers' uh, training camp. And um, when they left, he said that it was almost three to one uh, Afghan refugees to soldiers on the base that he mm-hmm. was training on. And so it's already happening. Uh, He's already seeing he was telling me just, uh, you know, the uh, the mechanism that is coming into place to try to get people settled for uh, temporary housing, you know, uh, making sure they have what they need for food and and medicine and then trying to find places for them to resettle in communities in the United States. And you've seen a lot of stories where uh, states are opening their doors and saying, "Okay, here's what we can take Um, in this situation. We're hearing a lot of ministries that are partnering with churches, ministries partnering together to um, try to make a a soft landing place for these people to resettle in. And so I would encourage your church, if you guys are involved with uh, refugee resettlement programs, to be looking around and seeing where you guys can get plugged in. Um, Also, getting in behind uh, some of the ministries that are doing this, Uh, Refugee Memphis, uh, obviously out of Tennessee is partnering with Heart for Iran and other U.S. resettlement agencies to try to help, uh, you know, make sure that there's enough housing because there's a housing crisis right now um, and housing costs are exorbitant. Um, So there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of issues uh, with regard to um, making sure that there's, uh, there's welcoming hands for these people to come into, um, because this is all, you can imagine, all brand new, different language, different people, different culture, different habits. And there's just going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of, I guess, need, for lack of a better word, in the coming days. Um, Heart for Iran has been doing a lot to help with the Afghan uh, resettlement issues. So they've had a, uh, a they've kind of shifted some of their program, programming that was specific to the refugees that were going into Iran, and they also got a matching grant that provided virtual church access, trauma counseling, Bibles, and more, and this is while uh, folks are running into Iran. Um, there's also on-the-ground services that are being uh, done in conjunction with um, uh, Rescue Memphis um, that uh, are are allowing for these things to happen uh, in in a... Uh, in a good time frame, um, in in an appropriate time frame. So that's the good thing. Um, Obviously, the need for people to be finding new refuge is what is causing concern. And it's all of the headlines that people are reading. And I wish I could say that there was good news in that. But there's almost always something that you just think more is there more?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You know, Afghan resistance leaders have fled the country, so now there's what little resistance there was is not there anymore. And if you thought it was bad back the first time when they took over, now there's like nothing there. Um, mm-hmm. So it's there's no no form of. Any kind of voice to counter what 's going on, and I think the concerns are that what 's happening in Afghanistan is going to reshape the insurgencies of uh, other countries that are uh, being that are dealing with insurgencies with similar ideologies so um, like somalia mali mozambique Nigeria um, anybody that 's got um, an insurgency that it follows the extremist ideology is really uh, concerned because of the being emboldened by what the Taliban has done. So just be praying, because a lot of ministries are looking at this and saying, here's where we're going to have to double down, here's what we're expecting to happen, and we need the resources and creativity to be able to get it done.
0: When I, uh, when I scan through the material, um, let's say in the article you have posted from the Afghan Christian woman, Um, whose husband was taken by the Taliban and decapitated uh, because of his faith. And when I scroll through the material in that article, um, and when I listen to the testimonies of others on the ground there, um, it is not only as bad as it was the last time that the Taliban was in control of Afghanistan. It seems to me to be worse because they're is, there is now a generation of people who are have been very public about educating girls, have been very public about um, their Christian faith, have been very public about their support of Western um, ideologies and ideas, or America specifically. Um, the, all of those people are now absolutely in the crosshairs of a barbaric uh, Islamic. Group. I don't even quite know how to call them. I mean, they are a pseudo government now, um, but they're it's the atrocities are only beginning.
1: Yeah. When we when we refer to it as Taliban 2.0, uh, I think, you know, you, with the, the understanding it's a second generation, they've learned from mistakes in the past, which makes them more efficient as a government, as an entity uh, that they are. But it means that uh, those that they're that are being crushed under the steamroller are going to be more brutalized along the way. Um, mm-hmm. And that is why we, we hear we've been hearing uh, about how dangerous it is for anybody who's going against the the mainstream ideology of the Taliban, uh, that they're all fleeing the country um, because there's just been these these this reprisal violence um, that has been so severe. Um, you know, for a while there we weren't we were just hearing about what this could be, what this could be could be, and uh some of the ministries that are working with the persecuted church was were saying let's uh hold off on our response until we start getting some confirmations about what's happening, even though we know what the Taliban is because they've already told us who they are and what they're going to do, uh what we've seen in past action um we don't want to add to the chaos and the fear by just jumping in without having, you know, the research or the the information, the facts to back up what uh, what we think might happen, and now it's just a free for all because mm-hmm. uh, it is happening that way. And in in with trying to be careful, now they can uh, these these ministries are coming out and saying, yes, this is actually what's happening. They are repeating all of the atrocities of. 1996 to 2001, and they're adding more to it. Um, so, you know, when we talk about what's happening and and the fear and the chaos, we're we're not over exaggerating it. We're not trying to sensationalize it. Um, put yourself in their shoes, imagining mm-hmm. that you are um, either female or or a follower of Christ or both, and knowing how they treat people, knowing how they treat even uh, Muslims who are not Sunni um, and uh, just really anticipating what that's going to look like and how far underground can you go and still stay safe. Um, And that you have ministries that still continue to work with them uh, to work and reach out to people with the hope of Christ because they're so desperate for hope at this point. And sometimes people ask me, is that really enough? Is it enough just to pray? Is it enough just to beam in the hope of Christ through satellite communications, through satellite TV, to getting SD cards with the, with the Word of God on there, um, you know, in the in the in the native tongue? And um, the answer is, it has to be enough because there's not a lot that you and I can do individually to fix the situation. But banded together as the greater body of Christ, we serve. The God of the universe, the Creator yeah. of the universe, and imagine what He can do when His people know how to pray.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, I, I yeah, absolutely. Um, Ruth and I will return uh, in just a moment. We're going to pivot. And we're going to talk about what's going on in Myanmar. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. You can find out more about each and every one of these stories at MissionNews.org. We'll be right back. I'm not All right. We're talking with Ruth Kramer this morning from Mission Network News. You can find these and other stories at missionnews.org. Ruth, let's, um, let's turn our focus and attention to Myanmar today. Talk with us about the economic situation there. And then this report that there are plain clothes men with automatic rifles threatening people in public um, and interrogating them in the streets. What, what's going on?
1: Well, it's just mass chaos again uh, in Myanmar. It hasn't really settled down since the February coup and the military government seized power. Um, a lot of the issues have been that they've promised to do X, Y, Z in terms of elections and uh, and putting in a government, uh, uh, an elected government and then not following through with the promises. Um, so there have been protests. There have been a lot of other issues that have kind of converged on the country as a perfect storm uh, of crisis. So now you've got um, like a second or third wave of coronavirus that's really sweeping through the country. You've got this mass issue of uh, currency um, just losing its value. So you're looking at inflation that is going alongside that and mass uh, unemployment. Uh, the currency's lost about 60 percent of its value in just a couple of weeks. And that means that um, people can't afford to do you know the money doesn't go as far as it used to go? So when you're looking at um, uh, a GDP of maybe $1,400 a person, um, and rice now costs about $18 a bag for like a 48 kilogram bag of rice, that's about 40% more than the prices of food before the coup. Uh, gas yeah. has doubled in cost, so you know, it's costing more and more just to be able to survive. And people are very upset about this. Uh, so they're protesting. And then the government, in in an effort to maintain control over the mobs that are coming out to basically tell them that they don't approve of what they're doing, has kind of created a police state. Um, and a lot of people have died as a result. A lot of injuries have happened as a result. Uh, and now you have these, this situation where you have plainclothes military that's wandering around the streets trying to um, just be an aggressive military presence to keep people in line. And that is resulting in um, threats and public interrogations. And um, it's not really even a secret police anymore. It's just they're they're out there and they're threatening people by virtue of the fact they've got this this gun and you don't. And you better toe the line or you're going to be hurt. And that's the situation in Myanmar. So we have partners that are working uh, with the church networks that have been built up uh, in that country. And um, what they're trying to do is just get in your basic supplies, because those are in such uh, short availability, short supply. Food and medical uh, is just very difficult to get to. And our partner, AMG, has been helping like 15,000 people since the coup, just keeping them alive. So... It, 15,000 people, when you look at the population of a country, doesn't sound like a lot. But what we've also been hearing is when people get supplies, they don't keep it to themselves. They are trying to share what they have with other people to keep them alive. So it becomes an opportunity for ministry for those who are being the hands and feet of Christ. And really, that's what AMG is asking us to be praying about. You know, if, you're, if God is tugging on your heart to, to give— AMG is doing it well. So you can support a ministry like that, but really what they're asking for is for a body of Christ to understand the circumstances in the country and to be praying for the hands and feet of Christ, for those who are on the ministry teams, that they are wise as serpents um, and as gentle as doves when they're they're doing what they have to do, that they stay healthy because of the COVID issues, and that uh, there are opportunities to talk about Something different, uh, you know, a different uh, worldview, a different, um, a different, well, a different worldview is just where I'm going to stop there.
0: Yeah, worldview matters. Um, I think that one of the things, Ruth, that we always wonder when we hear stories about what's happening in places, the the places are genuinely foreign to us, um, and it's hard for us to imagine the rapid unraveling of of places where, you know, things, at least for a period of time, seemed pretty stable. And so when I think about what's happening um, in particular places around the world, you know, I, I mean, every time we talk about Lebanon, right, every time we focus on that nation, I think to myself, like, things were going pretty well there for a fairly long period of time. And then very, very quickly unraveled because of this confluence of challenges and crises, multiple crises coming all at once. Um, I also recognize that people listening right now here in the United States and in Canada are thinking to themselves, I feel like I'm facing multiple crises right here, right now. Um, help Help us resist the temptation to turn away from the needs of others because we feel like things here at home need so much attention.
1: I think start by asking God to broaden your horizons, asking God to lay a story on your heart, pick something and pray about it, pray into it. You know, when we we send out a daily email with our stories and you can pray through the news, Uh, there's not a lot of stories. There's just three that come out in the email and you can pray through them and ask God, what would he have you have you do? And then be ready for the answer. Because when you ask God, what would he have you do? And he gives you that answer. You have to be prepared with your answer. Are you going to
0: say yes? Hmm. Hmm. Ruth Kramer, as always, um, thank you so much. I think we'll leave it right there and we'll not try to unpack the issues in Tigray and Ethiopia um, or other headlines that folks can can read and the stories that you can follow at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, thank you so much. It's always, it's it's sobering to talk with you, but it's also hugely encouraging to know what our Christian brothers and sisters are doing around the world um, to alleviate the the very real challenges that, um, that others are facing. So thank you. Thank you.
1: I'm just going to throw this out there. All we're encouraging you to do is find your place in the story.
0: Amen. Amen. Uh, For help with that, go to missionnews.org. See what piques your interest and stimulates your passion uh, in the direction of good and godliness. That's a—so, Ruth, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back. All right, two things here at the close of the hour. Um, Number one, I will describe this as a brief cleanup on aisle four. Thank you to the listener who raised concern that both yesterday and today I seemed to um, single out people on one side of the political aisle. Um, it, that it was not my intent. Um, all right. I want to speak with e- equal application of concern to everyone um, in regard to the way we treat one another and the way we speak to one another and about one another. Um, in terms of the public discourse of the day and the things that concern us. It doesn't matter to me which side of the issue you you are on. Um, what concerns me is how we treat one another and how we talk with and about one another and engage with one another. And yes, it concerns me um, when the government seeks to use its power to squelch anyone in terms of their, uh, their ability to speak their peace, as long as you're speaking your peace peaceably. So, Um, yes, that is applicable to those on the right or on the left. Um, And yes, I recognize that people have behaved badly on the right and the left. And so let's be people uh, who present our concerns um, in a way that honors Jesus. All right. Now, one quick thing for my Hartford listeners. If you're listening right now in Hartford and you want to meet up I'm going to be uh, there October the 23rd, 430 to 6 p.m. Just text the word MEET to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.